Thank you for joining the Bevel Talk, Season 11, Episode 3, Welding's Role in Fixing Deepwater Horizon. Today, we're talking with special guest Jason Elliott from Elliott Welding Solutions. Let's get right into it. Hello, and welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining with us. We've got Jason Elliott of Elliott Welding Solutions. Jason, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Danny. Thank you very much. Good. Thanks for joining with us again. We appreciate it. Uh, during our last conversation, we talked quite a bit about um, your work on and your company's work on the Deepwater Horizon um, catastrophe. Um, I want to dig a little deeper into that. So help our listeners understand the size and the scope of how large this project was um, to be able to accomplish it in three months and how you know, what were the weldments like? How long was it going to, was it taken to weld joints, et cetera? What, let's, let's take a little deep dive there. Okay. So the production riser, which we had already built for Mad Dog phase two, we're looking at 14 inch diameter with a three quarter wall. And that was about 3000 foot. Now you had a lower section and an upper section. Those upper sections and lower sections all, because we were trying to build something with all the forgings we had on the ground or anybody had forgings close to us. So those diameters and thicknesses changed. So the outlets going to the flex joints, we're looking at about six inch and probably uh, three quarter to one inch wall. And then some of the forgings for the housings for the valves and everything could be anywhere close to 24 inch in diameter inch to two inches thick. Now, all our well bevels were set up with J-preps. There was very few of them that we just did a straight 37 and a half with a feather edge. But most of them were J-preps where we had a U-groove when we welded it together and you pushed through the U-groove. What that allowed was is by doing a U-groove or J-preps, it allowed you to get better fit-ups and being able to measures. So one of the ways that we measured it was once we did the bevel, we had a plus or minus five thousandths tolerance on the landing thickness. And we had an ID tracking module that actually tracked the ID to make sure that thickness was plus or minus five thousandths. And so when you fit it up, you were able to measure from the the OD on the lands between the two lands to make sure you got within a twenty thousandths offset on the fit up and once you had that then you tack it and when you tack and actually weld it even if you were manually welding or orbital welding you actually pushed through that landing and had a nice root all the way in the inside it allowed instead of having to open root everything you were able to run a little bit faster but you were able to push through that land very fairly easy so all those different thicknesses for all the different pieces of pipe, forgings, all of the outlets, they all varied from different sizes. And some of the material uh, varied. Uh, a lot of that was two and a quarter chrome. And depending on, you know, 4130, some of it could have been eight eighty six thirty, depending. So once you actually got the fit up, then you would do your preheat, tack, and then preheat again before you'd actually start your welding. So when you're working on something so critical, 
what are some of the biggest challenges with with fit up and prep and finishing and, and actual welding? What were some of the the challenges that the welders had to overcome? One of the hardest things, especially getting into forty one thirty materials like that, is welders having to learn to work with the heat, the preheat, because you're talking a four hundred degree preheat to be able to bring the hardnesses down. So those guys have to learn how to, I guess, mask their arm whenever they're welding to keep the heat from burning them. So you learn how to do that. But at the same time, if you're doing orbital, that's not such a big factor, but your preheat is tough because you got to make sure you have your track on there and you've got to force your heat away from the track because the track has different components on it that could melt if the heat's on it. So those are a couple of things of the guys learning the offsets and being able to get a good fit up. It all is depending on how round the pipe is. So if you end up getting a, a piece of pipe that's not completely centric all the way around and your fit up is not good, then that you actually have to scrap one piece and get another one or cut back till you get to where it's uh, concentric all the way around. So you have, Wait, you're up. telling me not all pipe is round. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. But oh, that's why that ID tracking modules on there to follow that ID, to make sure it's good and clean. Now there was some times that we ended up having to take pipe to the machine shop and run a skim cut on the ID to get it straight. If we had enough wall thickness there to still meet the men wall. So we, for fit-ups, you had to check fit-ups because we had a, our prints and everything had tolerances on our fit-up to make sure it was correct. And that was plus or minus 20 thousandths. And so we had to check it and make sure it was dead on. And another thing that the J-Preps allow, you butt those up and tack it and that keeps everything straight. Where if you have an open route, it can pull one way or the other. If you're not paying attention, you can be off really quick. And especially when you're welding, it's going to pull on one side than it is the other if you're running slower on one side and running faster on the other. So the J-Prep allows everything to stay straight as well. Right. And it only takes a few times of being off just a touch, 30 feet down, 40 feet down, you're way out there. Uh, Sure. I mean, we did a project at one time that was – 90 foot drilling risers, but they had to be plus or minus, what was it? One sixteenth overall length off a 90 foot. We had to do temperature conversions, everything to make sure it was all, it, it, it would stay within that depending on where, or what temperature it was. So we had a company come in and set our jigs up on each, each side of the shop and the faces have to, they had to be within 50 thousandths of completely square over 90 foot. So that's how you got to learn how to use bevels to help the part from drawing whenever you tack and weld. I'm trying to think of a good way to, to explain to our listeners that aren't familiar with how tight those tolerances are. <laughs> well, you can think how difficult that actually is. Put it this way, pull 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 a strand strain of hair, a strand of hair out of your head, and you're looking at about twenty thousandths on the thickness of that strand. Uh depending on you know, 
the person, but you're probably talking anywhere from 15 to 20 thousandths on the thickness of the hair. So that kind of tells you. So two and a half to four hairs. That's what you got yep. over 90 feet. That, that's true. <laughs> that you don't have much. And so it's, it's very difficult. And we had to do everything had to be done with lasers and be exactly dead on the money. So everything fit correctly when it went out and was installed. Take charge of your field preheat and bakeout applications using induction heating with the new ArcReach heater. Providing up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit, it's part of the ArcReach technology platform as an accessory for select ArcReach power sources. Learn more about induction heating benefits and the new ArcReach heater at millerwelds.com slash ArcReach heater. And that's that's one thing with welding, you know, really in almost every aspect of welding, if it's not done well or it's not done right and something fails, people get hurt or people die. It's it's not just for fun in most cases. It's it's critical and important. Correct. Okay, so I have to ask, have you seen the movie, the Deepwater Horizon movie? Yes, I have. Can you give us a quick thumbs up, thumbs down? It was... It was a very good movie. Uh, I enjoyed watching it, but I think there was a lot of things in it that, you know, it didn't tell the full story of everything that happened. Um, I can't speculate on that, but just from seeing and knowing and everything that we did, I, I think there was a lot of things that were left out, which I know they have to leave them out getting into, you know, the time constraints of making a movie. All right, Jason. So I have a couple of questions for you. I've been able to hear a little bit of this and, and I might embarrass you a little bit or to have you toot your own horn, but I heard tell that you were doing the training for almost all of the welders on all these high precision welds. And at, at the end of the project, can you give us a little bit of a, a story of, or details on, on how you were selected to finish out that project? Well, i over the years when I was there at RTI, I started out as a welder for the first eight years I was there. I was there 15 years. And so the last few years, I ended up working with the welding engineers and then basically production managers. So everything in all six shops I ran. But during that time, I did a lot of training and working with the welding engineers to uh, come up with a plan and procedures of how to make those welds to make sure they passed. And we had a, a failure rate that was very, very low. So when I actually took over, it was at about a 20% rejection rate. And with doing high fatigues and very tight criteria, you know, it's, that's not terrible, but it's not great. And we wanted to get down close to the industry standard of 3%. So we, me and the engineer welding engineers came up with different things of requiring these welders to do to make sure they passed these each one of these welds to bring that rejection rate way down. And we were able to do that. We were able to get it actually below 1% after quite a few months. And me doing that, I was requested at the end of this project to do the last four welds, which were basically the most critical welds on the whole thing, which held the 300 foot worth of flex line that went up to the barges and it was a 
manual root and hot pass on top of a J prep bevel and then sub arc on six inch diameter. So you've got to keep your eyes on it. You've got to do a lot of grinding and cleaning because even a power surge will cause an indication in a weld that won't pass that criteria. So you have to be very careful and you have to watch every bit of it. And so you, it's weld and grind the whole time and cleaning to make sure that there's no non-fusion on the sidewalls. There's no slag, anything like that. So it has to be very, very clean. That's, that's amazing. Um, you know, there's, there's gotta be a sense of pride and accomplishment in being able to be, to pull that off and to be the one that's selected to do that. Well, Jason, thank you again for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Bevel Talk. We hope you join us next time. Thank you very much, Danny.